Um, when we spend time in reading God's word, we commit ourselves to three questions. And the three questions that we commit to is, is God, what are you revealing concerning yourself? God, what are you revealing concerning people? And God, what are you revealing concerning me? And when we ask those three questions, we're simply posturing ourselves to hear from God as we spend time in the reading of His Word. And so that's what we're going to do right now. We're going to engage in the reading of the Word. And there are those of you who've been journeying with us from the beginning. We, we've gone from Genesis, and now we're all the way to Job. And now we're in Job chapter 5. And so we're going to read, and then we're going to engage. We're going to read, and we're going to engage. Father, I ask today that you would bless us, God. Lord, even in our times of weakness, you show that you are strong. Lord, in our times of ignorance, you show your profound wisdom. In our times of frustration, you give us comfort. And Father, you show us, Lord, all too often, Lord, that you are guiding us and that you are in control. Father, I pray that you would speak to us today. Lord, as we engage in your word, speak to us in a timely way. Father, with this timely word. And we ask that in your name we pray. Amen and amen. Let's read. Job 5, verse 1. Call out now, is there anyone who will answer you? And to which of the holy ones will you turn? For wrath kills a foolish man, and envy slays a simple one. I have seen the foolish taken root. But suddenly I cursed his dwelling place. His sons are far from safety. They are crushed in the gate. And there's no deliverer because the hungry eat up his harvest. Taking it even for thorns, and the snare snatches their substance. For affliction does not come from the dust, nor does trouble spring from the ground. Yet man is born to trouble, as the sparks fly upward. But as for me, I would seek God, and to God I would commit my cause. Who does great things and unsearchable, marvelous things without number? He gives rain on the earth and sends waters on the fields. He sets on high those who are lowly, and those who mourn are lifted to safety. He frustrates the devices of the crafty, so that their hands cannot carry out their plans. He catches the wise in their own craftiness, and the counsel of the cunning ones, sorry, of the cunning comes quickly upon them. They meet with darkness in the daytime, and grope at noontime as in the night. But he saves the needy from the sword from the mouth of the mighty and from their hand. So the poor have hope, and injustice shuts her mouth. Behold, happy is the man whom God corrects. Therefore, do not despise the chastening of the Almighty. For he bruises, but he binds up. He wounds, but his hands make whole. He shall deliver you in six troubles. Yes, in seven, no evil shall touch you. In famine, he shall redeem you from death and in war from the power of the sword, and shall be hidden from the scourge of the tongue, and you shall not be afraid of destruction when it comes. You shall laugh at the destruction and famine. You shall not be afraid of the beasts of the earth, and you shall have a covenant with the stones of the field, and the beasts of the field shall be at peace with you. Hmm. You shall know that your tent is in peace. You shall visit your dwelling and find nothing amiss. You shall also know that your descendants shall be many, and your offspring like the grass of the earth. You shall come to the grave at a full age. As a sheaf of grain ripens in its season, behold, this we have searched out. It is true. Hear it and know for yourself. 
Then Job answered and said, Oh, that my grief were fully weighed, and my calamity laid with it on the scales, and then it would be heavier than the sand of the sea. Therefore, my words have been rash, for the arrows of the Almighty are within me, for my spirit drinks in their poison. The terrors of God are arrayed against me. Does the wild donkey bray when it has grass, or does the ox low over its fodder? Can flavorless food be eaten without salt? Or is there any taste in the white of an egg? My soul refuses to touch them. They are loathsome food to me. Oh, that I might have my request, that God would grant me the thing that I long for, that it would please God to crush me, that he would loose his hand and cut me off. Then I would still have comfort. Though in anguish I would exalt, he will not spare. For I have not concealed the words of the Holy One. What strength do I have that I should hope? And what is my end that I should prolong my life? Is my strength the strength of stones? Or is my flesh bronze? Is my help not within me? And is success driven from me? To him who is afflicted, kindness should be shown by his friend. For even though... He forsakes the fear of the Almighty. My brothers have dealt deceitfully like a brook, like the streams of the brooks that pass away, which the which are dark because of the ice and into which the snow vanishes. When it is warm, they cease to flow. When it is hot, they vanish from their place. The paths of their way turn aside. They go nowhere and perish. The caravans of Timah look. The travelers of Sheba hope for them. They are disappointed because they were confident. They come there and are confused. For now you are nothing. You see terror and are afraid. Did you ever say, bring something to me? Or offer a bribe for me from your wealth? Or deliver me from the enemy's hands? Or redeem me from the hand of the oppressor? Teach me and I will hold my tongue. Cause me to understand wherein I have Aired. How forceful are right words. Hmm. But what does your arguing prove? Do you intend to rebuke my words and the speechless of a desperate one, which are as of wind or are as wind? Yes, you overwhelm the fatherless and you undermine your friend. Now, therefore, be pleased to look at me, for I will never lie to your face. Yield now, let there be no injustice. Yes, concede my righteousness still stands. Is there injustice on my tongue? Can my taste discern the unsavory? Hmm. Is this not a time of hard service for men on earth? Are not his days also like the days of a hired man, like a servant who earnestly desires a shade, and like a hired man who eagerly looks for his wages? So I have been allotted months of futility, and wearisome nights have been appointed to me. When I lie down, I say, when shall I rise? And the night be ended. For I have had my fill of tossing till dawn. My flesh is caked with worms and dust. My skin is cracked and breaks out afresh. My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle. They are spent without hope. Oh, remember that my life is a breath. My eye will never again see good. Hmm. 
the eye of him who sees me will see no more. While your eyes are upon me, I shall no longer be. As a cloud disappears and vanishes away, so he goes down to the grave. So, so he who goes down to the grave and does not come up, he shall never return to his house. He shall his place know him anymore. Therefore, I will restrain my mouth. I will speak in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. Am I a sea or a sea serpent that you set a guard over me? When I say my bed will comfort me, my couch will ease my complaint. Then you scare me with dreams and terrify me with visions so that my soul chooses strangling and death rather than my body. I loathe my life. I would not live forever. Let me alone, for my days are but a breath. For what is a man that you should exalt him, that you should set your heart on him, that you should visit him every morning and test him every moment? How long will you not look away from me and let me alone till I swallow my saliva? Have I sinned? What have I done to you, O watcher of men? Why have you set me as your target so that I am a burden to myself? Why then do you not pardon my transgression or take away my iniquity? For now I lie down in the dust and you will seek me diligently, but I will no longer be. I'll read this last chapter. Then Bildad the Shuite answered and said, how long will you speak these things? And the words of your mouth be like a strong wind. Does God subvert judgment? Or does the Almighty pervert justice? If your sons have sinned against him, he has cast them away for their transgression. If you would earnestly seek God and make your supplication to the Almighty, if you appear and upright, surely now he would awake for you and prosper your rightful dwelling place. Though your beginning was small, Yet your latter end would increase abundantly, for inquire, please, of the former age, and consider the things discovered by their fathers. For they were born yesterday and know nothing, because our days on earth are a shadow. Will they not teach you and tell you and utter words from their heart? Are the papyrus, sorry, can the papyrus grow up without a marsh? Can the reeds flourish without water? While it is yet green and not cut down, it withers before any other plant. So are the paths of those, of all those who forget God. And the hope of the hypocrite shall perish, whose confidence shall be cut off, and whose trust is a spider's web. He leans on his house, but it does not stand. He holds it fast, but it does not endure. He grows green in the sun, and his branches spread out in his garden. His roots wrap around the rock heap and look for a place in the stones. If he is destroyed from his place, then it will deny him, saying, I have not seen you. Behold, this is the joy of his way. And out of the earth others will grow. Behold, God will not cast away the blameless, nor will he uphold the evildoers. He will yet fill your mouth with laughing and your lips with rejoicing. Those who hate you will be clothed with shame, and a dwelling place of the wicked will come to nothing. Last one. Then Job answered and said, Truly I know it is so. How can a man be righteous before God? 
If one wished to contend with him, he could not answer him one time out of a thousand. God is wise in heart and mighty in spirit, who has hardened himself against him and prospered. He removes the mountains that they do not know when he overturns them in his anger. He shakes the earth out of its place and its pillars tremble. He commands the sun and it does not rise. He seals off the stars. He alone spreads out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. He made the bear Orion and Pleiades and the chambers of the south. He does great things past finding out. Yes, wonders without number. If he goes by me, I do not see him. If he moves past, I do not perceive him. If he takes away, who can hinder him? Who can say to him, where are you going? God will not withdraw his anger. The allies of the proud lie prostrate beneath him. How can, how then can I answer him and choose my words to reason with him? For though I were righteous, I could not answer him. I would beg mercy of my judge. If I called and he answered me, I would not believe that he would. He was listening to my voice, for he crushes me with a tempest and multitudes of wounds without cause. He will not allow me to catch my breath, but fills me with bitterness. If it is a matter of strength, indeed he is strong. And if of justice, who will appoint my day in court? Though I were righteous, my own mouth would condemn me. Though I were blameless, it would prove me perverse. I am blameless. And I do not know myself. I despise my life. It is all one thing, therefore, I say. He destroys the blameless and the wicked. If the scores slay suddenly, he laughs at the plight of the innocent. The earth is given into the hand of the wicked. He covers the faces of its judges. If, if it is not he, who else could it be? Now my days are swifter than the runner. They flee away, they see no good. They pass like swift ships, like an eagle swooping on its prey. If I say, I will forget my complaint. I'll put off my sad face and wear a smile. I am afraid of all my sufferings. I know that you will not hold me innocent. If I am condemned, why then do I labor in vain? If I wash myself with snow water and cleanse my hands with soap, Yet you will not plunge me into the pit, and my own clothes will abhor me, for he is not a man as I am, that I may answer him, and that we should go to court together. Nor is there any mediator between us who may lay his hand on us both. Let him take his rod away from me, and do not let dread of him terrify me. Then I would speak and not fear him but it is not so within me. It is not so within me. Mm. Let him take his rod away from me and do not let dread of him terrify me. Then I would speak and not fear him, but it is not with me. Hmm. So much to unpack here. Uh, so much to reflect on. There isn't the time at all to break down every 
nuance of this portion of Scripture. There just isn't. We're not afforded that. There's so much here to unpack, and, and that's not what I'm here for. I'm here to spend more time just reflecting. That's it. I'm just spending some time uh, reflecting. If there's anything, you know, it's interesting because I, uh, <laughs> I, I find myself in. It's just it's 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 interesting how God speaks to you in your particular seasons, and I find myself in a season I wouldn't say of suffering, but I'm definitely definitely uncomfortable. I'm not suffering like Job was suffering. I'm not going through what Job is going through. Job has, he's seeing real pain. He's seeing real pain. And some of you know what that kind of pain looks like. Some of you know what kind of, 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 of suffering and loss that Job experienced. Imagine you've lost all your assets. You've lost all your staff. You've lost your business. You've lost your family, you've lost all your kids, and then imagine that you've lost, um, you're losing your friends and you're losing your wife in the process of all of this. Imagine what that does. It's funny. Um, we can see some dynamics in marriage and how uh, finances and how losing children can affect marriages, right? You can see how, you know, Job losing his, his, his assets and his resources brought afraid to his relationship and his marriage to his wife. You can see how losing kids can cause a strife and division in marriage. You can see that because often when we get married, I'll say that, is often when we get married, uh, we tend to um, think of marriage as a business endeavor. We tend to think of it as a merging of resources and finances. And so we almost uh, equate marriage to a merger. <laughs> and unfortunately, marriage is not a merger. Marriage is not a joining of assets and resources. Marriage is a becoming of one. It's a oneness, a mutuality of sacrifice, a mutuality of giving up your life for a greater purpose. This isn't a give and take, but it's a giving up of all things. Um, but often, of course, we know what happens, right? We know what happens when we lose children or we lose uh, resources, reputations. These things bring afraid of marriage. And we see that happening here. Interesting things to point out, right? Or when we see the friends, these wise men who come from afar coming to meet him, and, and we see what happens there as well. So we, we see so many dimensions of what Job is experiencing and the pain uh, that Job is suffering. But the big question that Job is dealing with, he's dealing with the question of why. That's the big question. And it's the question that governs us today. This question of why. The tendency that we have, let me say this, the tendency that we have when we go through pain is to ask why, right? And part of the reason why we have a tendency to ask why am I going through this? What have I done to go through this? It's because 
We want to find ways to mitigate the pain, to avoid the pain, to find purpose in the pain, but not only just to find purpose in the pain, but to find a solution to the pain. Because if you can tell me what got me here, then that's going to help me figure out how to get out of this because I need to get out of this. So often when we fall into the temptation of asking why, it's not about our trust in God more than it is about our seeking power for ourselves. I know that's tough to hear. I know that's tough to hear because, again, we want to say that we trust God in all things. We want to say that we trust God even in the midst of our pain and even in the midst of our suffering. We want to say all of that. But the tendency to find purpose to it actually comes out of of a desire for control. If there's anything that suffering reminds us of is it reminds us of our weakness. If there's anything that suffering, and this is the, the, the blessing of suffering, the blessing of suffering and the blessing of pain. I know nobody likes to hear this. I know nobody wants to hear this. But the blessing of suffering and the blessing of pain is that it reminds us of our dependence. It reminds us of our mortality. It reminds us of our humanity. When we're in pain, we're being reminded that we're human. When we're in pain, we're being reminded that we're weak. When we're in pain and we're suffering, we're being reminded that we do not have control. And for some, people can see that as a curse. But for those who understand the beauty of a total submission to Jesus Christ, you will find that that is the ticket, the invitation to trust in God. And that's how you find blessing in your pain. Because we want to run from our pain. I get that. I'm speaking right now because I'm, I'm profoundly uncomfortable. And yet, this is really speaking to me because what I want is just, hey, I want to move on. But have you ever noticed that when you're in pain, that's when you're reminded. Pain is a reminder. Suffering is a reminder. And I read this, and I hope you guys are catching on to me, because I think for Job, his big question is why. His big question is why. Because up to this point, Job has been doing the right thing. He's been living the right way. He's been following the law of God. Let me back that up. Let me correct myself on that. I want to point something out to you, and I feel like it's important for me to point this out at this point, because for those of you who are reading Job, you see where Job is in the text. And again, Job does not follow in congruence to, um, um, uh, what's the word? What's the word? What's, what, the chronology. Uh, Job is not congruent to the chronology, meaning Job is not chronologically ordered here in the Bible. The Bible isn't chronologically ordered. Um, there's been a lot of argument, a lot of debate about where Job is in the Bible or in the story, in the in the in the anthropological, the biblical anthropology. Let's put it that way. And people are trying to find where Job is at. And again, there's a, a large portion of the academic community, the theological community, who would say that the Book of Job is actually the oldest book in the Bible. 
Job is not uh, further on down the line, but Job is the oldest book in the Bible. But then there are others who will argue and say, no, Job is not the oldest book in the Bible, but rather the Pentateuch is. That is the first five books that we read in the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, right? And, and so there are those who will argue that it is the Pentateuch that was the first book in the Bible, that is the book that was written by Moses. And from then on, we see the story of the children of Israel, what we've been reading up to this point, but we get to Job. And so maybe we argue when Job was written, and that's that's cool, that's cool and all, but and that's fine. We can argue that. Um, but the one thing that isn't argued is that Job is an ancient book. It is ancient, but even if it was written later on down the line, which is why it's actually positioned here. By the way, side note for those of you who are asking, if Job is chronologically earlier or at the beginning, then why isn't Job at the beginning of the Bible? Why is he here? Why is it nestled at this place in the Bible? Uh, the reason being is that there, there's a strong belief by the academic community that the book of Job was actually written later on down the line, that Job was written sometime around reading Ezra and Nehemiah. It's written during the time of captivity of the children of Israel. And so because it was written in that time, it's where it's chronologically written is kind of where it's been placed, and that's why Job is put there. Again, doesn't matter. Let me explain to you why. Because even though Job was written whether Job was written earlier than Moses or whether Job, uh, than Moses writing the Pentateuch, meaning Job was written before Genesis was written, or Job was written um, um, later on, you know, during captivity by, by a Hebrew author, we know the story transpires before Moses. This is important. Uh, we understand it, that the story transpires before Moses, and there are many hints and clues to that, and I don't want to get into all of that. I just want to simply point a few things out because this is important for you to understand. This is important for some people who need to hear this today because there are those who will read Job, and they think, well, Job is happening sometime later. But no, Job happened before Moses. Before Moses was, Job was. <laughs> Meaning then, the story of Job was a story of a people who weren't even the chosen people of God yet. It was not only before Moses, but it is believed that Job was before Abraham. So Job happened sometime between, between uh, creation, that is Adam and Eve, and before Moses, sometime in between that. But Job happened before Moses. Job is one of the oldest stories contemporaneously, or as far as, sorry, as far as chronology is concerned. Why is this important? This is important because Job was declared to be righteous, and yet there was no law. Did you catch me? Job was declared, because we see this at the beginning of this text, that Job was righteous, but Moses had not even existed yet. There was no law. There was no Ten Commandments. There was no Abraham, meaning there were no Hebrew people. There was no Abraham, meaning there was no Isaac, meaning there was no Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, and therefore there was no Hebrews. So while Job is considered righteous, there was no law. Because what makes a person righteous has nothing to do, or has not nothing to do, sorry, has little to do directly or explicitly 
to one's obedience to the law. And yet Job knows God. Um, Job is a foreshadow of Christ, yes. Some will, some will use the terminology that Job is a type of Christ because Job existed before the law. And so Job is not suffering because of the law or in spite of the law. But yet Job is still addressing an issue of morality. This is the beauty of Hebrew text. And I say this, and I don't want to go into full Bible study here, but I have to say this before I get to my closing point, because this is critically important. This is critically important. Is understand how the Hebrews read the text in comparison to how we read the text. When Hebrews read these ancient texts, they understood the text from uh, based off of its timbre, its tone, its rhetorical form, its literary form. In the book of Job, and I hope you guys have been reading it as I read it, you notice there's a poetry to this. There's a poetry to the story. It's not to say the story didn't transpire, but that there was a poetic rendition of the story because there's a truth that the story is looking to expose. And so it is written in song. It is written in song to expose a truth. Are y'all catching me here, family? This is so important because as we've been reading the story of Job, we see Job has three wise men who come from afar. <laughs> and these three wise men come and each one now is going to debate with Job. They're going to debate with Job. These debates that we have been given the privilege to eavesdrop into, these debates are exposing the very questions that are deep within the heart of man. You see, up to this point, these wise men are exposing at the core the issue of human morality. The issue of human morality is that if I do the right thing and I do good things, then I should get good results. And if I do bad things and evil things, then I should get um, a, a certain result or a consequence to that. That is, that there's consequences to every decision that is made. That is the human morality. That is not a God morality. Even the law, the purpose of the law was not for heaven and hell. The purpose of the law was for the sake of shaping a people to be distinct and holy from other people. Hmm. This is so important. Because there's some people right now who are going through pain, who are feeling pain in their body, who, 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 who are suffering, and who now have been asking the question, and not just suffering physically, but there are people who are suffering relationally, in their marriage, in their family, in, in extended family. There are those who are suffering profoundly. And what's happening is, is that your suffering is cultivating an emotion, a shame. And the shame is driving you further and further into toxicity. 
and further and further into um, um, self-destruction and self-implosion. Because what the devil wants to do and what the enemy wants you to do is the enemy wants you to take ownership of your pain and take ownership of your burden in a way that leads you to shame. And so now because you feel pain, it leads you to self-blame. And so you're blaming yourself for what you're going through because at the end of the day, you cannot find the reason. You cannot find the reason. And the interesting thing that we read here as we're reading through Job, and I'm sorry if I'm ranting, but I, I just have to work this because I'm speaking to myself as I speak to you, even in the midst of the pain and in the frustration and in the discouragement. Job finds himself defending himself from people who know him. And these people who he's defending himself from are saying, Job, just, just, just repent, man. I know I'm, I know we just read it, so I'm just giving you the cliff note version of it. But they're telling him, you know, Bill Dad, Bill Dad is saying, repent, man. Repent. Eliphaz is telling him, yo, you did something wrong. You did something wrong. So fix what you did. Fix what you did because this is your fault. This is your fault. And so now Job finds himself, hold on a second. He's backing up. And he begins to respond in a discourse with them. And we hear the depth of it. And this is going to get me to my point and what I want to close with today. But Job says something in Job 6, verse 24, which I believe many of us need to pray today. In Job chapter 6, verse 24, he says, Teach me, and I will hold my tongue. Cause me to understand wherein I have erred. There's some of us, our pain is in most part looking and seeking to defend ourselves from people who do not understand us. Because if there's one thing that pain does, is pain isolates. If there's one thing that pain does, pain isolates you. Because no one can feel what you're feeling. It can almost be upsetting when people say, man, I know how you feel. You don't know. You're not in my body. You're not in my mind. You're not in my soul. You don't know what I'm going through. You don't know how I feel. And it sounds disingenuous because the, rea the reality is, is I'm alone in this. Pain isolates you. Because only you can feel your pain. Only you can feel your pain. And yet, in that moment of isolation, God is setting you apart now to connect with him because Paul says that if I can know him in the fellowship of his suffering, I'm convinced, family, 
that when we suffer, it's an invitation to suffer with Christ. As a matter of fact, God will isolate you. God will isolate you from people. And if it takes pain to do it, he will isolate you from people so that he can speak to you directly. He will isolate you from people so that you can hold your words and that you can get on your knees and speak to him. He will isolate you from people so that you can get to know him. God is isolating you in the pain. And what you get in response is wisdom. I know I'm leaving you all, you all in attention. It's coming from a guy who this morning is struggling through discouragement. If I could just be real, if I could just be real with you, I'm speaking to you as a man who I I don't like how I feel right now. And last night, around two in the morning, I just couldn't sleep. I just couldn't sleep. Because the pain that I'm feeling is mine. It's mine. The, the discomfort that I'm feeling is mine. That's mine. That's my pain. That's my discomfort. The pain that I'm feeling is what woke me up at two in the morning. The pain that I'm feeling is what got me to get up. And even when I tried to go to sleep, I couldn't go back to sleep. The Tylenol didn't work. The pain pills didn't work. And so I'm laying there. And I did something that I hadn't done in a while. Prayed to God at three in the morning. Because this one's not for my wife. This one isn't for my kids. This one's mine. This one's mine. And so, God, I'm going to talk to you today. And what pain does is it gives you wisdom. Remember, I said this to you yesterday. And I hope somebody can receive this because this is so important. And um, because somebody needs to hear this today. Your pain is not punishment. I'm going to say that again. Your pain is not punishment. Somebody needs to hear that right now. Your pain is not punishment. Because today you're reading about a man who was in pain, who's suffering physically, emotionally, in every form and in every way, but there was no law. And the scripture tells us that he was righteous. And this is going to really trip you up. Go back and read the first two chapters again. This might really trip you up. Job was doing all right until God brought attention to him, to Satan. 
because Satan told the Lord, yeah, Job is righteous, but he's only righteous because you got, he's, he's rich. He's only righteous because he's got all those kids, all those beautiful kids. He's only righteous because he's comfortable. That's the only reason why he's righteous. And God, who's confident in his son, Job, says, nah, touch him, test him, see where he's at. He's going to show you who he is. Job didn't do anything. There was something happening between heaven and hell. Ah, family, your pain, and this is for somebody who needs to hear this, and I'm sorry if I'm taking my time, but you guys need to hear this. Your pain, there's somebody who's going through it and has worked it all out, tried to fix it, tried to do everything they could, couldn't figure it out, and now they're wondering where it's at, and yet what you don't realize is there's a contest happening between heaven and hell, and the contest between heaven and hell is being manifest in your pain. Your pain, your pain is victory. I understand now, and Paul says, oh, that I may know Christ and the fellowship of his suffering. Oh, that I may know Christ. Oh, that I may know Jesus, Jesus. You know, in Isaiah 53, verse 3, when he says that he was rejected by men, that he was a man of sorrow, and that he was acquainted with grief. He didn't just know pain. He was acquainted with pain. And yet we who esteemed him stricken, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. There's healing in pain. And for some of you today who you're trying to avoid the pain, I want to proclaim healing over your body. But in this season and in the midst of the pain, could this not be an invitation to know Christ? Maybe this is actually an invitation to you to know God. Maybe, maybe it's God getting your attention. Maybe the devil's been ignoring you and God has brought the devil to attention and now You've been invited to go on a journey. Job doesn't have this all figured out. We're going to be reading through chapters where Job has some bad days. Because we can have some bad days. I don't know. Today I'm not having a great day. There are going to be days where you are angry with God. You go to God with that. There are going to be days where you're frustrated. You can go to God with that. There are going to be days that you feel just like Job and say, I don't want to live anymore. Go to God with that. But here's what I will tell you, though, is that there's victory in the pain. 
because he says, for I reckon, and this is the confidence and this is the hope that we have. He says, for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which will be revealed family. Measure the amount of pain that you have right now. The glory is greater. Measure the amount of pain you're going through right now. The glory is greater. Father, I just pray right now. Lord, for those of us who are in pain, Lord, we are in fellowship. <laughs> for those of us right now, Lord, who are in fellowship with pain, we are together in on this. There are those of us, Lord, dealing with physical pain. There are those of us who are dealing with emotional pain. There are those of us who are dealing with financial pain. There are those of us who are dealing with relational pain, psychological pain, psychiatric pain, all forms of pain, Father. There are those of us right now, and we're looking and we're chasing after refuge. We, we, we want to find healing. And not to say that we don't believe that you heal, but what a privilege that we have to know you, even in the midst of our suffering. So, Father, I pray right now, Lord, that you would release, Lord, the chain of shame and guilt from each and every person here, Lord, who's going through pain, and yet all they think to themselves is their guilt and shame. Lord, that you would release that from them, Lord, that they may know that they've been forgiven by you. And Lord, to have the hope of knowing, Lord, that there's still victory even in the midst of pain, that whatever suffering is happening in this moment, Lord, that the glory is greater than the suffering. And we say that in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm praying for you all. Um, I want to encourage you all. Job is going to be a heavy chapter for many of us. In the season that we're in, it's going to be a heavy chapter. But my goodness, we're going to see victory. Even in the midst of it, I'm praying for healing for you. But for right now, you need the healing of your soul. Let's say one last thing. God wants your soul to prosper. Your soul is his priority, not your body, not your money. Let me say that again. Because I believe somebody needs to hear this. I'm going to say this again. God wants your soul to prosper. Your soul. Your soul is his priority. Not your marriage. Not your ministry. Not your finances. Not your, uh, not your business. But your soul. And he wants to heal you there. And when he heals you there, I promise you, when you get your soul right and your mind right, everything else comes after it. So seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added. May your soul be healed. May your mind be restored and renewed. 
May you be a new creature in him. Jesus Christ. I love you all. I'll be posting this on Patreon. I know some of you, I'm trying to get the, the, the episodes on Patreon available to you right away. Um, I know you guys get the audios for this and, and I'm going to post it on Patreon for you right away. But if you can't, if you can't support on Patreon, that's fine. That's perfectly fine. Um, I want to continue to minister to you throughout the weeks to come. And this particular, uh, this particular, um, audio will be found on the Read and Rant podcast. Um, I know it's going to take a while because on the Read and Rant podcast, I only post on Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And so I try to keep them concurrent. Um, and so, um, you know, you, you may not get it for a while, but this will come up eventually. Just remember that we're following through Job, so you'll know when it's coming. Um, but yeah, I just want to say, guys, I want to pray for you. I want to continue to pray. And I'll be in prayer as I'm praying for my healing. I'm going to say this right now. Even in, the, I'm speaking to you while I'm wrestling with discouragement, <laughs> okay? I, I, let me just say that. I'm wrestling with discouragement right now because I'm I'm not comfortable. I am in pain. I am dealing with all that. And, and even then, God has given me the grace to pray for you all. What a grace is that is. Like, what an encouragement that is, that he gives us the grace to be able to minister to others and to help others in healing. I could rant all day. I'm going to say one last thing, and then I'm done. Uh, I'm done. Um, I was saying this at uh, a uh, memorial service this past weekend, and it's just something to remember, something to pay attention to, is when we say that Jesus is acquainted with grief, understand Jesus knows pain. Nobody knows pain more than Jesus. Nobody knows suffering more than Jesus. Nobody knows what losing family looks like more than Jesus. Jesus knows all of that because he experienced all of it. Okay? He lost John the Baptist. He experienced that. He lost Lazarus. He experienced that. He felt pain. We see all through the scriptures when Jesus is, is, is weeping and he's in pain. But the crazy thing is, and this is just a word of encouragement. I'm sorry. I'm just going to rant. I'm ranting now. Uh, but this is the last thing I'll say. Pay very close attention to this. That after every one of those moments when Jesus is weeping or mourning, there's a miracle that comes after it. We read about Jesus feeding the 5,000, but we forget that that was right after Jesus found out that his brother, cousin, his sibling cousin, John the Baptist, was beheaded. Don't forget that when Jesus rose Lazarus from the dead, the verses before that was Jesus wept. And don't forget when Jesus was walking into Jerusalem and he was weeping for the city, that Jesus was about to heal and restore all of humanity by his death on the cross. And don't forget that while Jesus may have died and he shed his blood and had to watch his mother watch him die and watch his heavenly father turn his back on him, and when he had to say, Eloi, Eloi, even after all of that, redemption came to the world. And there was a resurrection that came after it. I have to say this to anyone who's in pain. There's a victory that comes after the pain. Always. So bring us closer, God. I love y'all, family.